You may also like a show about the things you may also like. Things like the outdoors. We don't spend nearly enough time outside. It's healthy. The sun provides this vitamin D that helps keep you happy. You can walk, run, bike, play soccer, baseball, or soccer baseball. In the winter, there's skiing, snowboarding, pond hockey, downhill skiing, cross-country skiing, and if you bring a gun with you, you're now a biathlete. Marianne Iveson has this love of the outdoors that I can't explain. So I brought her on the show to explain it. And I started the conversation to this millennial with a very dated Bob Eubanks newlywed game reference that clearly sailed way over her head. Tell me about the first time you made Whoopi outside. I thought you were going to ask me when was the first time you ever went outside. And I'm like, I don't know. That is actually correct. That is the first question. Earliest memories of being outside have to be on my parents' farm, which I still have. They have about a few hundred acres in Tilbury, Ontario. And my earliest memories include playing in our tree fort with my brother. It includes hoeing weeds out of the bean field. It includes picking rocks out of the fields. It includes doing hard labor <laughs> on the farm when I was four years old. No, but seriously, it includes you know playing the leaves with the dogs. It includes, again, playing in the treehouse. It includes touching dirt and rolling in dirt and playing with nature and playing with leaves and plants and helping my aunt with her really big, beautiful garden. I spent most of my time outdoors when I was, when I was a kid. So where you grew up in your area, did a lot of people also live like that and live outside and have the same sort of love for, for the outdoors? Or did you have a set of friends who stayed inside a lot? Well... Outdoor recreation maybe wasn't the same out there. So I, I grew up in a bit of a you know farming community, and my aunt lived down the road, and then a cousin also down the road, another cousin across the street down the road. So you know, family affair for sure. But it's very regular. Well, you know, when I still go down there when I'm as a thirty-something-year-old, there's a lot of farmers outside. I don't know if you want to call it playing, but working, right? Or again, my aunt has some greenhouses, and you know, we help out or we try to do, do gardening at their. They now have a, a, what is it, a bee, a beekeeping, a beehive. <laughs> so it's still, I would say like it's more about the farming community and being outside than it is about outdoor recreating where I'm from. Outdoor recreation is more now where I am in Ottawa, where it's like we purposely go outside to exercise. Like in Tilbury growing up, we just took rides everywhere. We drove everywhere, even if it was like a kilometer up the street. We never, we never walked anywhere. And if I needed to go anywhere, I, I, I never rode my bike eight kilometers into town, right? It was always driving. So not outdoor recreation, but it was part of life and it was part of work. What's the longest you've ever been outside in terms of consecutive days? Maybe something like a camping trip or a mountain hike, something that went for an extended period of time. Have to be Kilimanjaro. Was that eight days, nine days? Camping outside Kilimanjaro. They even had little portable bathrooms that the porters would carry. So you even went to the bathroom in a little, if it wasn't behind a rock when you were hiking, if we were at camp, there would be these little tent bathrooms that we'd go into in the middle of the night at 15,000 feet. That was a wild ride. That was hard. So you're telling me that this place, Kilimanjaro, is not some fictitious location in Toto's song, Africa. No, it's a real mountain. It's a mountain, by the way. I don't know if you know that. It's the tallest one in Africa. 
It is the highest one in Africa. It is very high. Even though I've done some pretty gnarly hikes and, and adventures in my day, maybe the hardest physical day of my life was on Kilimanjaro. It was summit night. We're up at midnight. We hiked, I think, till like 4 p.m. That was a very long, hard, grueling day. Tell me about altitude and the higher you climb. Because I think a lot of first-time explorers, I think you have to go through it to understand how thin the air gets when you climb. It's not as simple as just going to Denver and saying, well, it's a high-altitude city and, yeah, the sports is a little bit different. There's some real implications. At 18,000 feet, don't quote me on exact numbers, but approximately 18,000 feet, you're breathing 50% of the amount of oxygen that you are at sea level, to give you perspective. And I've been at and above 18,000 feet, because that's where Kilimanjaro sits. And I think maybe Everest Base Camp, perhaps. I, I can only speak from my own personal experience. Some people do really, really well at altitude and don't have many issues. Me, on the other hand, uh, I struggle a lot with altitude, headaches, stomach issues. It's hard. You become a little delirious when you're that high up, really hard to sleep. Saw people get very, very sick <laughs> at high altitudes, especially above like 10,000 feet, especially above 15,000 feet. Like that is next level stuff. That is next level. And it takes a while for your body to get used to it. Do you have another next level when it comes to climbing mountains? Do you want to maybe scale K2, perhaps, or Everest? No, absolutely not. No, that's full climbing, mountaineering. I wouldn't mind doing mountaineering one day or trying it, but that is very dangerous. That is incredibly dangerous. The survival rate is not very high. I do not want to go that high. That is, I would not have a good time up there. Like, if you told me I never had to go above 10,000 feet again, I'd be like, that's fine. It's a different level of suffering if you don't do well. You have a podcast called Let's Take This Outside. Why did you start the podcast? Because you peer pressure me into it. Let's go with another answer for the purposes of this podcast. I want, I want everyone to know that that's true, by the way, that you peer pressure me into it. When I say you should start a podcast, not everybody lands on the subject matter very quickly and efficiently like you did. So when I told you to do it, you said, we're going to do it about the outdoors. And it's going to be called Let's Take This Outside. You arrived at it very quickly. Yeah, it happened very quick. Why am I doing the podcast and why am I consistent about it and why do I love it and why is it my favorite thing in the world? So I'm so glad you did peer pressure me into it because how I feel is, you know, I have a radio background, which was a blast, but, you know, you're serving a certain audience. In this case, I built something that was meant for me. I built something that I wanted to really enjoy listening to. And whenever I put an episode out, I feel like, A, when I listen, so I always listen to the episodes beforehand. Because I'm like, do I enjoy listening to this as, as a listener? But secondly, do I connect with it? Is this something that I really like to listen to? And the answer seems to always be yes. And every time a podcast comes out, I, I'm like, oh my God, this is my favorite episode ever. Two weeks later, oh my gosh, this is my favorite episode. But okay, so why do we do it? It feels like my heart, every time I release an episode, I feel like it's really authentically me. And I feel like it's my heart outside of my body and put into nature and that people can listen to. And it's been extremely heartwarming to see people connect with it and be like, oh, I love listening to that. It's my new favorite podcast. It's been really incredible because I made it selfishly for myself <laughs> and to share my love of the outdoors with others. So the fact that other people are connecting with it, I think it has something to do with the authenticity of it. Who is Ray Zahab and why is he so popular? 
So Ray Zahab is an ultra runner. He has run across the Atacama Desert. He has done expeditions in the Arctic. He's incredibly inspiring. Him and his whole family are incredible athletes. His wife is an amazing runner as well. She's a long distance runner. He is a true endurance explorer and he's, his energy is infectious and his story and his kind of late to life exploration of exploring is really impressive. And also his company, Impossible to Possible, which helps youth go on expeditions and have the opportunity to go on these expeditions across the world that they might not have otherwise. So not only is he inspiring, but he also opens up the outdoors and adventuring to, to people who might not be able to have the chance otherwise. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundle, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. You may also like Supports Podcasting 2.0, so feel free to send us a boost if you are listening on a newer podcast app. If you don't have one, you can see a full list of them at newpodcastapps.com. It feels like for years we've been trying to encourage people to go outside and, and take advantage of, of the outdoors. As we record this, we're both located in Canada, which is a very spacious country, and there, there's lots to do, and, and we've got lots of water, and we've got some mountains, and we've got beaches and all this. But how can we make the outdoors more accessible to everyone? That's something that I explore a lot on Let's Take This Outside, is asking questions like this. And I'm learning as I go to. So what's been the feedback from some of your guests? I had a really cool conversation with Jacob from Nomad Du Park, which is an outdoor rental space in Gatineau Park, which is very close to where I'm from. And essentially, they make rentals available for e-bikes to bike in Gatineau Park. So people who might not be able to bike, maybe they don't have the mobility, or maybe they're a bit older, or maybe they've never been biking before, but want to keep up with their friends who do laps all the time. So accessibility, not only that way, other ways of accessibility. I would say cost is one of the biggest things. A lot of these things cost a lot, especially in the pandemic. Cost of bikes, cost of skis, cost of everything went up. But there are some great people, especially here locally in Ottawa and Gatineau, who are helping raise. They have like gear lending libraries or rentals, for example, that people can try things. 
So accessibility kind of goes in, a, in all different directions. So that could be age, for example. That could be gender, because as a female, it can be pretty intimidating sometimes. Like cycling, for example, there are these men who try to pass you and or make inappropriate comments or are on their $10,000 bikes and like smoking you up a hill. And it's, it's sometimes it's just weird and, and intimidating. So there's gender. There's maybe people who immigrated to Canada and they don't know where to start or they've never seen winter before. And all they're looking for is like, what winter coat should I buy? How do I enjoy the outdoors? What are snowshoes? There are so many different angles to it. LGBTQ plus communities as well and making sure that they have a chance to, for example, going on a hike, they know that they're welcome and they know that it's a friendly environment and that people aren't going to judge them. That's also very important as well. One of the things that came to mind as I've been thinking and listening to your show, I mean, the fir my first reaction when I heard this is, who can't go outside? What's the accessibility issue all about? And as I thought it, and, and sort of on the subject matter of new Canadians, I think there's an opportunity to make it more accessible by offering free skating lessons and free swimming lessons. Because I think growing up Canadian, the two things that all kids really learn to do in Canada is you learn to swim in the summer and you learn to skate for the winter. And if you can have those two things, you're really going to have a great social life. I think that's a huge part of it, too. And that's a big part of the gear lending libraries, making these things free for people to be able to get on cross-country skis or whatever that may be. And, and even we really didn't have many ski hills growing up in southern Ontario, for example. But, you know, a lot of kids in the Ottawa area grew up like they, they were put on skis the moment they would walk. Right. So there's also there's also a difference, too, in how you grew up culturally as well. There's there's so many different angles to it. But I think making the outdoors friendlier, making it more welcoming. Again, it's very multi-layered and I'm trying to navigate that in an appropriate way <laughs> with my guests and seeing how we can how we can do that. And as a white woman and having a podcast, how can I use my voice to help others? I also look at city and city structure and how you build your city has a lot to do with how well we're going to be able to go outside. So for instance, in Finland, the kids all bike to school in the middle of winter. And you look at in Winnipeg, there was a city councillor named Jeff Broati who called winter cyclists extremists. I mean, listen, some of the people who get elected are clearly not very smart. But when you see and hear stuff like this, how important do you think it is the way we build our cities in order to contribute to an outdoor lifestyle? Very important. Because being able to bike to school safe, safety is a huge part of this, too, of accessibility. If there aren't proper bike lanes, if there aren't proper pathways, people are not inspired to bike anywhere. <laughs> Luckily, there's a lot of green space here. But if you have to drive two hours to get to a hiking trail, that doesn't feel very good. Another part of accessibility, too, is here in Ottawa, they do bus shuttles to get in a park, especially during the fall, so people can come and hike and so that's a huge part of it, too, is get like people without cars. Like, how are they getting to these hiking trails, right? Are they taking a bus and walking? Are they? So that's also a huge part of it. But I think building a city in a way that has great pathways for biking, maybe cross-country skiing in the winter, walking, running, that is a huge, huge part of it. For example, I'm moving in like a month and a big part of it for me was, am I still going to be close enough to bike to Gatineau Park, right? It's only an extra 10 minutes for me now, too. But when I was actually looking at my lifestyle and what's important, it's important for me to be able to hop on my bike and bike to the places that I love or bike along the pathways or bike along the parkways and really enjoy it. So that's just me speaking. I can imagine a lot of other people feel the same way. What are some of your favorite outdoor brands? 
Some of my favorite outdoor brands. I have had a lot of great luck with Icebreaker from Merino Wool. The base layers are fantastic. I have lots of gear. Also, I want to point out I was a guide for them, aka like an influencer for, for Fjallraven. I have a lot of their gear still, which I love. A great rain jacket too. Some of their toques. Some of their like base layers too. Solomon is very tried and true for me. Segoy is a really great kind of, not lower end, but like price wise, they're on the lower end for like good quality biking gear and cycling gear. I really, really like their stuff. I also have their like fleece pants for cross country skiing. This is more fancy, but Rafa, their cycling gear is really, it's fancy, but it's, uh, it's really good. I'd rather buy, I'd rather invest in something and have it last year's. Oh, and also I just got some new running shoes called Norda and they're from Quebec and they are blowing up in the outdoor trail running scene. And I'm really, really loving those shoes. You can't see it, but I have this whole thing hanging off the back of my door and it has like all these little pockets and it has all my outdoor gear. So there's like pockets of like hand warmers and there's like cross country ski wax and there's gloves and toques and mitts and buffs and (laughs) there's like a thousand different things in there. So I'm going to regret not mentioning certain ones. As we record this, you're listed as single. How important is it to find a partner who also likes the outdoors on a scale of one to 10? (laughs) That's a bold question. That might be your boldest question. I don't know how to answer this because I want someone who would love to, you know, that's a sliding scale. It's a weird balance because if this person is like a hardcore athlete and I feel bad not being able to keep up, that would kind of, that might suck a little bit. But does this person want to go for a nice hike with me? That would be wonderful. Like they have to be able to want to go for a hike with me or be like, oh, I would love to try cross-country skiing or I'd love to try cycling or I'd love to try this or other way around. Maybe they introduce me to a sport I haven't tried, which I can't really name <laughs> at this point, kite surfing or something. I'd be like, sure, like, why not? Let's, let's do it. Or let's try downhill skiing again. And I'm like, sure, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what that looks like. I, you know, it's, it's high in the priority list for me, but there are other things that are more important in a partner. Well, you mentioned like sliding scale. Immediately, my mind goes to the, like the hot, crazy scale. I know that scale easily. How hot is she? How crazy is she? Can we balance this out? Yeah. For, so what would this scale be? How athletic are they versus? It's a hotness to how often you go outside. Okay. So the, if they go outside more, they can be more ugly? That's the sliding part. There's also, there has to be a whole other axis for, uh, for money. <laughs> Again, it's your scale. <laughs> How financially secure are you? I'm getting pickier the older I get. Give me one hack to staying warm in the winter. Great base layers. Merino wool or synthetic. Do not wear cotton. Do not do it. Synthetics or merino wool is great. It wicks sweat off your skin so you don't get over chilled. And a great, you know, something to keep your head warm to keep that heat in. One of the guests you had on your podcast was uh, Ted Khalil. And we discovered a great hack one day in the parking lot of Rich Stadium in Buffalo, New York. It was 9 a.m. It was really super damp and our feet were cold. And this guy opened up his pickup truck and threw us some cardboard and said, here, stand on this. And we instantly warmed up. What do you mean? Oh, you put it in between your shoes, like you stand with your boots on? Yeah, we had our boots on and we stood on it and we got warm. Was it a buffer between you and the, the coolness of the earth? Was it, were you on snow? Yes. And then we kept the cardboard to go and sit on at the game. Super smart. I've never heard that before. I know. It worked. We can't believe it either. Ted and I, when Ted and I talk about cardboard, we know what we're talking about. We're talking about staying warm. I'm going to keep cardboard in my car now. 
Ted's also on the absolutely no cotton train. I bet he is because he knows what he's talking about. So, of course, he knows. What do you think your last podcast episode is going to be about? What do you mean last? There's no end to it, right? Yeah, there's no, I don't see that happening right now. I have like eight podcasts already recorded. Like I'm ahead like three months. Right now. I'm going to be soon. I'm going to have a whole year, year's worth of podcasts recorded, I think. Do you think it's a little bit weird that people are like building these bigger and bigger houses, often right to the property line? They have no need for a backyard, apparently. Do you see that as a bit of a disturbing trend? I've never thought about that, to be honest. If people don't have dogs or kids, I could see why. Maybe that's why I go outside so often is because I really don't have an outdoor space at my current apartment or my next one, because I crave it. What's one outdoor sport you want to take up that you haven't tried yet? Oh, no, I have too many. I have too many that I want to get better at, that I want to do more, like rock climbing and bouldering and ice ice climbing. One of the funnest things I've ever done in my entire life. You just, like, take a pickaxe, and you got, like, these picks on your feet, and you just ram them into the ice... And I, I know it's supposed to be more like delicate and elegant than that, but like I love it because you just drive the picks into the ice and you're like hulking yourself up a wall of ice. It's the coolest. Literally the coolest. <laughs> it's also very cold. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show, Marianne. Thank you for having me. Marianne's podcast is one of the most successful released in 2022 in Canada. If you would like to be a part of it, head on over to letstakethisoutside.ca. Thanks for listening to You May Also Like. You may also like our website at youmayalsolike.net. The show is produced by Evan Serminski and built for your ears by everyone at the Sound Off Media Company. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.